Trident Wargaming. Build it, paint it, play it. You know, drop the mic. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mic drop moment. <laughs> Welcome back to Trident Wargaming, the only podcast that just loves Warhammer 10th Edition so much, we're willing to die for it. Best edition ever. <laughs> Best edition ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Got this it. week, we're actually going to be having a, a nice long conversation uh, on some 10th edition topics to kind of get you guys wound up and ready for your 10th edition games. Uh, but as usual, let's let's kick off with our usual hobby uh, corner here, just catch up with you guys and what you've been working on. Uh, Eldar, I mean, Arthur, uh, what, uh, what have you been working on? Well, you've heard of the Warhammer Community Falcon. You know, not a lot of people have seen it. It's a it's a rare piece of mystique. Uh, you are in the club if you're if you've if you've been part of the Falcon. Um, if you if you if you aren't in the club, the Warhammer Community Falcon is is named hence for being featured on Warhammer Community. And I realized he needed some friends, right? Uh, I thought it'd be very narrative, very crusade-like, very fun. Uh, and frankly, I would be doing my opponents favors if I painted up, you know, maybe like three fire prisms, three D cannons, a wraith knight, or two or three. Um, you know, like so, some really narrative stuff. So I got, I got, I got a couple fire prisms to show off. Uh, you'll see some more pictures probably in the outtakes. But uh, spent a lot of time on them. They're looking pretty good. And uh, I've actually, I've never painted a fire prism before. I've owned like three previously. There was a time when Eldar players played expert crafters, and back then that was kind of the last time a fire prism was good. So I think I had picked up a few then. Uh, and it's, it's a model from what, the nineties. Like mm, not like that current model. That current one is a little bit newer. Yeah, there quite was an a older bit. one before it. With right. the pewter, with the pewter prism cannon. Yeah, it had the really well, big fat crystal on it. Yeah, this has to be like this has to be from when Wraithguard were printed, or or even before that, mm. probably before that. This is like two thousand and odds. Then it is such a beautiful mm. kit. It assembled nice. It uh, it paints nice. It's just it, it's a great kit. I'm really excited to get those. You'll be able to see those on the Trident Wargaming uh, Instagram. Yeah. All over them. We're having a whole week for them. Eldar Supremacy Week in celebration of. It's true. It's true. What are you doing, Bill? Well, it's been it's been a pretty busy weekend. Uh, we were cranking out here at Trident HQ. We had a little sweatshop set up in the garage. Everyone was working on Titanicus terrain uh, over the weekend. So uh, big shout to uh, all the MFGs who were there: Dustin, Ryan, Andy, Scott. Uh, Isaac, Arthur in spirit, Arthur in spirit. We sent him a picture. Everybody was giving him a one finger salute. He'll make the next one though. Um, yeah, it was, it was just getting everything ready for that uh, Titanicus uh, demo day slash slow go league that's going to be starting up here in July. And then I've been uh, finishing off terrain, forty k terrain, getting ready for our uh, GT here up in August. So it's going to be. Big one for us, anyways. Going maxing out for forty players, so it'll be pretty sweet. 
it's a big deal. It is. To be fair, to be fair to Arthur, he's he's more of a painting guy. Uh, I feel like his values like triple all the rest of us when uh, painting time comes. So, well, spring your builders. Some of us are painters. You know, we split the labor. Yeah. <coughs> hey, to be fair, to be fair, I was playing my league game. All right. Now, he, here's why I couldn't make it. My league opponent, uh, if if you didn't know, he's he had a fiance who just spent the last few months in. Uh, in, in the Philippines, he's coming back, and any day later, and he's going to be, you know, no Warhammer for weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. that's fair. That's this was the fair. only possible time. I couldn't assemble terrain. And, and word word on the street was it was Eldar on Eldar, so we all win. <laughs> it was a pretty balanced game. Uh, it was. It was. Can, can I, do I have a minute? Can I talk about that game? It's 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 okay. hobby stuff yeah. this week. Yeah. Bing. Sixty seconds. Go. 60 seconds, boom, on Semitiner. Okay. Uh, if you've been in the, totally in the dark, Eldar is very, very powerful, the most powerful codex uh, as of the release of 10th edition Warhammer. And we had some Eldar on Eldar stuff. Both of us brought 3D cannons. He included some Dark Eldar heavy support. I had the fire prisms. And the Dark Eldar heavy support won out in the end, but the most important part was he had the Yinkarn. If you didn't know, the Yinkarn is fucking wild. It still retains that ability these days to... Uh, deep strike exactly where something died, but it doesn't have to be nine inches away, and it can charge afterwards. So he managed to plunk a fire prism with some some Ravager Dark Lance fire. Bam! In comes this Yinkarn. It smites or or whatever careless whisper saxophone song plays. Uh, one D cannon <laughs> to death, and then it charges another one and blows that up. And I was kind of joking. If you've ever played old StarCraft. You might remember in the Terran v Terran matchups, there was often like 5v5 Goliaths in the middle. And as soon as one person lost a Goliath, they broke and ran, because it's fucking game over. Yeah. We were joking, the first person to lose a decan and fucking break and run, game over. But it wasn't game over, I ended up taking that one uh, for a victory in the end. But uh, that's a whole other story, and that is thanks to the Warhammer community Falcon. Falcons. Falcons. I mean, I guess one got blown up, but yeah, fair enough. Hmm. Uh, I've been I've been uh, actually plugging some odd, odds and ends. I was working a bit on some Space Marine characters. Uh, just I have a backlog of them. The characters are always a tough thing for me because I waste too much time on them uh, for my painting skill. I did get some uh, some death marks painted up this week, so oh, that I, I can maybe, uh, maybe I start to work on. No, they're not going to focus on that, but uh, focus on doing some character sniping. So they're coming along good, like Farseers. Among if others. you can see my farce here, it's a problem. It's a problem. Little does he know that death marks have towering. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah. So this, like I said at the start, uh, our episode today is going to be all about 10th. Specifically, we're going to hit, uh, I think, like six or seven topics. Uh, because we know that everybody and uh, their dog can get just an insane amount of 10th edition Um content right now from from their desired sources and we will have lots and lots of 10th edition content i know we're gonna have some articles going up on the trident website uh and obviously there'll be lots of faction talk and stuff as we go down our podcast and etc down the, the next couple months but right now we want to talk about a few specific topics specifically some controversial topics uh, some things that some people are not happy with or are happy with if you play eldar um as well as I, I specifically wanted to talk about a topic that I don't think gets talked about enough, uh, both on the internet and podcasts and wherever, and that's talking about uh, objectives, both the fixed and tactical mission objectives, which 
like are central to the design of the entire game and they're almost getting no press whatsoever at all right now uh but of course if you go back to ninth everybody knew that they you know your secondaries were huge hugely important to how good or bad your army was uh, of course we don't have faction secondaries anymore but we do have secondaries and we're going to talk about them a little bit what we think is good bad and indifferent and uh yeah then uh, we'll wrap it up a little later on <clears throat> but to open up we're actually going to begin with our our discussion on uh, secondaries, both the fixed ones and the tactical ones. I know we have at least one fan in the building here for the uh, tactical missions, but we're going to start talking about the fixed ones. And I'm just going to give a little content here, a little context, uh, and then we will move on to what your guys' thoughts are on if they're good, they're bad, uh, what you think they're good and bad for, what you think is good or bad about them, if you have any thoughts on that. Um, so our fixed, fixed objectives, fixed mission objectives, there are seven of them now, uh, which is obviously way less than there was back in the day. Two of them are kill objectives, uh, assassinate and bring it down, uh, function most, mostly the same as they used to. Uh, two of them are action objectives, uh, both one for uh, in your enemy's deployment zone and one just for sitting on top of objectives. And then there's three of them that are kind of like what I call a placement objective, where you just have to be certain places, like engage enemy, or uh, engage on all fronts, sorry. Uh, as well as a couple for sitting on objectives and being in your opponent's uh, backline. A lot of these work the same as they did in ninth. Uh, they aren't terribly different. But if you're taking fixed objectives, these are the ones you need. You need to take two, not three, and they cap at 20, not 15. So they will play a pretty uh, different role in your army construction. Uh, like I said, we're all going to have some thoughts on it, but we're actually going to lead with Arthur. I'll hear his thoughts on those fixed mission objectives. Uh, what he likes or doesn't like, and if he thinks they're relevant. Yeah, so they're definitely relevant, and they're going to be relevant, uh, again, like in previous ones. Some are matchup dependent, where automatically you're going to sling one of those down, and you're going to score 20 points. Um, I think... One of the downsides of Ninth Edition, I think, was the faction-specific secondaries, because there were some armies who just had amazing ones, and orcs got all of the good bits. There are no good bits left. They've been gotten. Um, sisters, forever defend the shrine. Uh, Necrons and Admech both investigated some objectives in the middle that you couldn't really stop. They scored a lot of points for it. Um, and world leaders put blood everywhere, right? Like, I'll to some go. extent, those objectives were uninteractive. And... I think one of the things we're going to talk a lot about today is when the game is uninteractive, it's at its worst. When the game is interactive and both players have agency, and it comes down to who makes a better tactical decision, that is a better game. Mm -hmm. I don't know that the fixed objectives bring that. I don't think that they're bad. And I think overall, more people are probably going to lean towards the secondary ones, but there's going to be a couple armies that are going to play fixed ones just because their army can do that. Like, Grey Knights, for example, I think are going to be able to play fixed objectives. Um, maybe Eldar. Gene Steeler Cult's going to be able to play fixed objectives. And that's going to have the same sort of uninteractive feel bads as 9th edition. And I don't think it's going to lead to feel goods. Um, the ones that are interactive are like Storm Hostile Objective. That's a great objective. It forces you to go interact with your opponent. It's not easy to do. There's not enough points for that. No one's ever going to take that. Um, but... That's my thoughts on that. One of the things I don't like, in addition, is uh, the the way Bring It Down scores. Because a lot of things now have the vehicle tag that didn't in the past. Take Crisis Suits, for example. Every single suit is a vehicle. Every single Crisis Suit, two points. 
you're going to often see nine crisis suits. That's 18 points. You almost max that secondary. Paragon War suits, that's six. Uh, there's going to be a lot of really one-off. I think one of the good pieces of game design is Games Workshop has actually found a way to make like your single one-off light vehicles valuable. Um, your chicken walkers, well, yeah, <laughs> maybe not valuable for your dollar, but like for 50 points, they're not terrible in an army that needs a little bit of help. Uh, your war walkers, your scout sentinels, uh, those things actually feel good now, but you kind of get punished for, for taking maybe too many of them under that bring it down. Bill, your thoughts mm. on bring it down or <laughs> fix just, secondaries. Just, uh, fix secondaries. Fix secondaries are, it, that was one of the hardest parts, uh, for ninth for myself is always kind of which secondaries that I want to pick. What secondaries was my army giving up? It was a lot to a lot to take in, uh, especially if you wanted to try and play competently. Um, so I, I always found myself I was either building towards a certain style with the you know actual secondaries um, and missing that. What am I actually giving up in the back end? It, it was very hard to master and try and make both things happy. Um, I do like the idea of just doing like the tactical ones. Uh, just whatever comes up and you're trying to achieve, you know, um, that secondary in particular. I, I do like that a lot. Uh, I think it takes just some of the thinking out of it. So it lets you just react to the table. But I do see the appeal of if your army's good at doing a fixed, that you take it. So it's it, it's it's definitely a weird spot, right? Like I, I want to have the game as fun as interactive as possible, but at the same time, I want to capitalize on what my faction does best. And if that's flying around the board and um, not engaging, but still scoring points, and you know, slowly whittling away what I want to, it, uh, so be it. You know, it's just kind of one of those one of those things. Um, I, I'm definitely looking forward to jumping in. I saw there's going to be pre-orders popping off in the next little while it was on the uh, Sunday preview for the mission cards for, and for the cards and stuff yeah so I think that'll be uh, pretty legit I'm also I'm also happy about the uh, gambit stuff just to go off topic a little bit I think the gambits are a really neat way to kind of keep you in the game no matter what as sort of that bust out that Hail Mary and I, I don't know how relevant it'll ever be um, I'm hoping that it does pop off from time to time and cause those big upset like underdog moves I think that'd be just awesome you know um, the first a, time I see a, a gambit actually work and win somebody a game I'm gonna freak out yeah like, oh it's shit gonna be like goal call like I'm gonna be like oh yeah <laughs> like I'm gonna freak out I don't think that they're going to work that often, but when they do, it'll be hilarious no. or tragic. Or you know both. what? There's one of those. Uh, the one where you got to get to the corners or whatever. What is it? Uh, Orbital Strike. That's mm -hmm. one that Bill might be able to do playing Dark Eldar. It's true. Very fast armies will definitely be able to pull that one off or have good odds on it, put it that way. Um, I actually, you know, honestly, uh, not to be contrary here, but I the way fixed objectives are built right now, like the way that they're they're written, uh, and keeping in mind, we want to put this out there, people need to keep in mind, both the fixed and the tactical objectives will undoubtedly get changed over time, just like they did in ninth. So, 
you know, ones that do end up kind of sucking or being bad will probably get boosted and vice versa. But anyway, for fixed objectives, the way I've been looking at it is I actually think that they're not necessarily for fast armies. Um, that's not to say that fast armies can't do them. They absolutely can. Um, but the way that the scoring is set up is basically that all the fixed objectives, more or less, except for the two kill ones, basically require you to get the max score on them every turn if you want to max your score. You know, they're worth 20 points each and they have like 20 points available. Like you cannot possibly overscore them, uh, except for, of course, the kill ones, like I said. So you really don't have any wiggle room. You don't have any leeway if you have a, like a turn where you just didn't quite make it work out and you're going for high scores. Fixed objectives might not be for you, whereas the tactical ones, despite, of course, being a little random, they do tend to have a little bit higher of a score, which means that if you don't have a great turn where you just didn't quite score enough to max, or not max, but get you know your score up how you want it, later in the game, maybe you get some better cards and they offer you a little more and suddenly you can catch up. And I think that fast armies might... Um, and we'll talk about this more later, but we'll might gravitate more towards that because it's got some forgiveness to it. Whereas slow armies, I think tactical objectives could be a risk. Because like all disappointed by the removal of no prisoners. Um, I'm not obviously uh, <laughs> for the armies that you play. But as, Ar as a Arthur Arthur knows that all my armies were incredibly vulnerable to it. Honestly, I do think it's good because I think that um, with the the stratification of toughness, right, and the way that the game is now, um, I kind of like right at this moment. I actually am happy there's not a no prisoners kind of objective, which really scores a ton for killing infantry because I think infantry are kind of up against it already. Right. Um, no prisoners, by the way, does of course still exist as a tactical, but it is different than it is or was before. Yeah. But uh, anyway, for fixed, like I just think honestly, slower armies they might not want to risk having to get pulled back and forth across the board as they get random objectives every turn. Because if they start to get into a bad turn or two, they're screwed. Whereas with the fixed, maybe they just build for them and hope that they can do them well. Uh, and if you can't do either, well, you're kind of screwed. But that's that's in the army building step. <laughs> so yeah. I think you probably there is a world where your Dark Angels Terminators are going to cleanse uh, or deploy teleport homers five turns in a row, and you're you know that that's their game plan because, like you said, they can't get to the corners, they can't get to opponents' objectives. They're just going to sit there and, and force you to come to them. You're right. Yep. Yep. And well, I think what you probably do again, this is purely speculative, but I think if you're playing fixed, you probably pick one, and you build your army to say, "I will score this every turn." That you're like. 90% sure I can do this every turn. And then you probably find a second one that you're pretty sure you can get 10 to 12 points on. And that one you swap out for assassinate or bring it down when they pop. You build for either cleanse or deploy teleportformers? Probably. And <laughs> Unless right? you're you know, Grey Knights, cults, etc. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's probably how you do it. Because here's the thing. Bring it down, especially early in the edition, is going to be available a lot of the time. Uh, I actually think Assassinate will be too. Uh, I think a lot of armies are going to be bringing characters, uh, and it's obviously snipers are very good now, uh, but I don't think they'll dissuade people from taking characters. So I think those both will pop up a fair number of games, but you do want to have a backup that you're sure you can get half done, so you can get like a 90 to 95 kind of score if you did everything else right. But you want one for sure that you're like, I need to be able to max this. Uh, and I think that's your strategy. I, I think. 
Um, but more exciting, uh, let's move on to the tactical missions because that's kind of the that's kind of where all the fun is now. That's the new hot new thing, uh, and I know Arthur is very jazzed for him. So why don't you take us in, Arthur? I think my favorite version of Eighth Edition Warhammer was when all of the factions got their own tactical objective deck, and you got to customize the deck a little bit. You could pull out certain cards and you could put in yours, uh, and then and then that was the deck you played with. Now it never really had the chance to take off at a very competitive level. Um, I think ITC missions were still the like pinnacle of competitive Warhammer, but I think that they were the most fun. They 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 enabled you to do the thing that your army wanted to do, right? It rewarded you for being a sister of battle or or being a Drukari player or whatever it was. Um, and then they they kind of took that idea and they made that the main mission idea for ninth. But like I said earlier with the secondaries in ninth, I think that kind of got lost as codex secondaries became prevalent. Um, because to some extent, you got rewarded for doing your army thing. That's great. I got rewarded for being a sister of battle and doing miracles. And sometimes that was problematic. I love taco missions. I have played two games of 10th. Both games were taco missions. And to be fair, I'm, I'm playing Eldar. I, I acknowledge they're very quick. I acknowledge they're very powerful. But I felt like I had the chance to score a lot of these. And I, I really like the thing that if you don't score one, you can huck it and you gain a CP. So you're 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 kind of giving a little bit of a boost and for not scoring your points. I also like that the secondaries are uh, they are priced in a very aggressive format. You do not need to score them every single turn. You can miss a couple and you can still score big points. So I think that is 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 awesome. Um, I like them. I like the format. Uh, I, I think it's a lot of fun. I, I I hope that they get wholeheartedly adopted by the competitive community um, because I think it's a great way to play Warhammer. It keeps the mission dynamic. You could be playing the best game of your life, but if you keep getting fucked, you're not winning that game. And it's a dice game. We, we play this competitive game and sometimes uh, with, with certain ways we play it and we massively don't we plan for it, it doesn't end up being a dice game. It's a stat check or it's a, you know, come stop me from doing this. And that kind of takes away from the spirit of the game to me because that's uninteractive. One of the downsides about tactical missions, I think, is I think that there's only one that requires you to be on something at the end of the, the game turn or the end of your opponent's turn. So in many cases, your opponent doesn't have a lot of agency to stop you from doing the thing outside of the agency that the core rules give you, like Overwatch, Heroic Intervention, etc. In some ways, and I don't know if people have queued onto this yet, you actually are really rewarded for playing very durable forces that stick on middle objectives or your own objectives, because a lot of these are do an action on a middle objective, or take an opponent's objective, or kill an opponent's unit. And if you're playing a 10-man unit custodies, someone's going to have a really hard time doing that. Or a 10-man unit determinators. Even as many... Ugh, I struggled to kill Gaunts. There was a 20-man unit of Gaunts in cover, and I had a hard time getting through them. So there is uh, reinforcement for being durable to hold on to these, which is good. Bill, your thoughts on tacos? <laughs> or burritos. Or burritos. Or um, Kind of like what I was uh, mentioning before, I, I really do like the idea of the tactical objectives. I like being able to have access to more ways to score. I think for... Um, like my particular play style, just jumping in, I think the tactical objectives will be really beneficial because I get, again, more more chances to score throughout the game versus just relying on a couple of fixed ones that I may or may not be able to pull off. Um, 
especially with my uh, experience in like the movement phase and being able to manipulate that extra stuff. It's just very tough. Um, with the new addition, though, it might you know things might change. Uh, I do like the discard. I think that's always nice if you get a shitty one, right? Just get rid of it. Um, I, I was a big fan of those Tempest of War and like earlier tactical objective missions as well. I thought those were really neat. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of my my main thing. I, I I do find myself leaning towards that more. I, I do also think it creates a a bigger demand for like balanced gameplay. I think um, you want to have like those all comer lists that can kind of deal with everything if you're gonna rock tacticals. And I do I do think it would add an extra layer to the uh, uh, comp scene if people wanted to focus on doing that. I think it could be quite a good challenge for um, both players involved. So. Um, yeah, I'll uh, I'll open by saying I think basically no matter what you play army wise, you should definitely try playing tactical missions at least a couple times just to kind of get a feel for it. Because I agree that I think it is like I, for lack of a better way to put it, I think it's a more fun way to play. Um, I think it adds a a little something to the game that kind of sometimes gets lost, especially in comp play where things can be very. Uh, very straightforward sometimes that there is a very defined right way to do things um and i think tacticals especially like i do think they've been uh, incorporated well i really liked the idea that they the gw went with where you know even the tacticals the tactical versions of the fixed objectives offer you more points than the fixed do specifically because they you know they want to add that little bonus in there uh, and as I said when we were talking about fix, the tacticals in general do offer you more points because, you know, they are random. But that's actually both a strength and a weakness because it does mean that, yeah, sometimes when you have a bad turn, which happens all the time, you get a little behind, but you can catch up. It, it gives you that, as Arthur mentioned, interactivity. Um, I do think that, at least as they're currently built, that they do favor, or not favor, but that they are they are smarter for armies that have good mobility. Um, both, not just index-wise, but how you build your army specifically. And I agree also with Arthur that, to be fair, though, you can probably have a lot of success with them, even if you're not super fast, as long as you are really good at board control. Um, specifically, like a really tough army that can just kind of exert its will. You know, those big Terminator forces, Custodes, uh, probably will have a lot of fun with it. Um, some of the beefier Chaos lists, things like that. Maybe even Knights, we'll see. Um, but like looking at it, uh, the full breakdown, um, there are with the full tactical deck, you got four that are kill objectives, three that are actions, and nine that are involve you getting somewhere. So that kind of tells you more than half the deck is about you being in a certain place at a certain time, which is why speed and, as Arthur mentioned, board control are really important to them. Now, that's not just getting onto objectives. Some of that is being in the center. Some of that's one of them is being in corners. That one's fucking hard. That it's hard. hard. It's like the worst one. <laughs> I was looking at them right. like, if I draw that, I'm getting rid of it. Like, uh, One of them is you have to take your opponent's objective. Mm -hmm. And like, that could be hard. A lot it of could missions. Be easy have or hard. Yeah. One. yeah. But it's worth eight victory points. Yeah, it's worth a lot. Um, and then there is one, one of the ones that I kind of threw in with the, the placement ones. Area denial is kind of both. It's the one where you have to hold the center, but you also have to keep your enemy out of the center. Yep. So it's kind of both. You kind of have to kill and 
be able to hold center. Um, but yeah, I actually think for like going through, and this applies to the fix too, most of them, and here's the big thing, most of them are good. Like they are usable in a game. I know in ninth at times there were like some of the generic objectives were hot garbage that you would never, ever, ever want to take. And uh, I'm not saying that's not the case for some of these. Uh, Arthur mentioned the investigate sites I don't like. I still don't really like engage on all fronts. I still think that it needs to be buffed. Um, but like for the most part, all of the ones there are are decent. Uh, they're definitely doable, and uh, I like the scoring on them. I think you should definitely play tacticals a few times, but if you play a slower, more plotting army or or an army that maybe is more about range damage, you might want to consider fixed, though. That's just my only real thoughts on it. If you play uh, cults or, or Grey Knights, play fixed. Oh, yeah, maybe, yeah. They, they're probably good at both, but yeah. Yeah, I could see you just have a good plan. Any other closing thoughts on missions? Secondaries? I'm excited. All I right. love tacos. Then, we, then <laughs> I'm I'm excited too. I love Mexican food. Um, <laughs> but I don't like I just don't want it to be spicy. Um like okay, then spicy? we get to <laughs> Is it because it bites like back. a white person to you? <laughs> Do I look like a anyway? Um Oh, I'm the colored guy now. Um now we move into the spiciest part of the podcast. Oh, yeah. I have a feeling we have some strong opinions over these next few topics. We're going to be diving into a few specific rules uh, that have caused some consternation in the community. Uh, we all have thoughts. They're probably mostly negative. Um, but I'm going to take you through just one one word at a time. I'm going to take you guys through. And I, we'll be kicking off with Arthur again because he's always got the best takes. Arthur, deep down, reach in. And bring out your feelings on this word. Towering. Oh, fucking kill me, dude. Ooh. Let me start a timer. Ten minutes. Scotty told us we have so many topics that we can only have ten minutes to talk about stuff. Ten minutes. I started a timer. I'm taking ten minutes to talk about how much I fucking hate towering. <laughs> we we talked about it. I was bitching about that fucking Knight's Battle Cannon back when we saw it first. And the fact that they showed towering and that there's nowhere you can hide. One of the greatest impact of 9th edition was the obscuring keyword for terrain. Because the fact of the matter is, no one has ever had good terrain. We think back to 5th edition, people will throw a couple of those battlefield in a box runes, and uh, line of sight terrain didn't exist. You were either hobbled by range, hoping you could outrange people, and on the 6x4 that was a bit easier, or... or uh, it just didn't fucking exist. You got shot off the table. The leaf blower list existed because there wasn't enough line of sight blocking terrain. I don't know who in their right mind thought that uh, giving knights the ability to ignore all terrain all the time was a good idea because it's not. Because everyone, all tournaments, uh, the LVO, Bay Area Open, all the big ones, all our local ones, my own personal terrain, has been built with that obscuring keyword in mind. The game's workshop terrain with all their little windows has been built with the obscuring keyword in mind. And as soon as you take away that and you start playing with true LOS again with these huge 70-foot models that can see the entirety of the game from one spot, it's not fun. They're going to blow shit off the table. Uh, they're going to be wildly overpowered. Uh, and, like, here we're picking on knights, but the greatest defender is the Wraith Knight, and I love Eldar! I have wanted the Wraith Knight to be good since, since, since it was so good it made people rage quit. In 7th, yeah. In 7th. And, like, it has... Been, it has paid two editions for its sins. No one has played one since, except for Boone's 
for fun at tournaments because he didn't want to win for some reason. But towering is bad. It's it's that thing that I talked about earlier that I said the things that make the 10th edition uh, require improvement is uninteractivity. When you can't hide from your opponent, when you can't play around them, when you can't make tactical decisions because they can still see you, the game isn't interactive. And, and that's where the problem boils down to. Towering doesn't make it an interactive game. Now, I acknowledge again, <laughs> I got seven minutes left. I acknowledge again that night players have been bitching about the inverse of this. That the game was not interactive for them in 8th. Right? Maybe they should have benefited from obscuring. I don't know. I fucking hate knights. I don't think they should have at all. They have their own game called Titanicus. Play that! They can play fucking Epic. They can play Titanicus. They can play uh, fucking literally anything. Stompy Robots. Mech Warrior. Yeah. Mech Warrior. Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Anything. Yeah. Knights isn't 40k, man. <sighs> Towering is a problem. Anything bad. Towering is a problem. <laughs> well, yes, I, I can see why um, towering is an issue. I do think that you can fix it, or they could have fixed it easy. Like I, I don't think giving knights obscuring would have been that bad of a that bad of a thing to make it go both ways. I also think um, towering is a way that it'll keep tos honest in sense of updating your tables and making your stuff. Um, better, like just blanking calling, oh, line of sight blocking on bottom floor, I don't think is actually going to solve the issue. I think you're going to have to really retrofit some terrain to make sure like your first and second floors are fairly blocked. Um, maybe not full, but pretty damn close just because you don't want to create that feels bad. And I know I, I've been already kind of looking at terrain racking my brain on how how are we going to improve the terrain situation with Trident events to make sure that it's not blowouts with Knights and to give people the best gameplay that they can actually have. Um, so I, I do think it, it puts a lot of uh, onus on the TOs to get your shit together and make the terrain as best as you can, um, especially if you know there's going to be issues with uh, certain models. Um, indirect stuff, that's a whole nother ball game i won't even get into right now but um that's kind of my thoughts do, on towering it's do they have uh do they have like towering or, or that kind of equivalent or obscuring for that matter in 30k no uh essentially everything that's cover is cover there's Just, yeah. there's very few and far in between things that do ignore cover um sure. generally short ranged but uh yeah again knights and heresy are also benefiting from cover I, I think an easy fix would have just been have obscuring swing both ways and call it good yeah. personally. So, well, you know the thing about that as a fix is that if knights come out to shoot because they want to shoot, they're paying a lot of points for those models. You can see them back. Mm -hmm. But like, even if we do that route, if we fix up terrain to make the the bottom floor and the second floor and fuck the top floor, uh, LOS blocking, the 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 runes just aren't big enough. Like, uh, it'll in. Infantry will get cover, but now with the rules for like how vehicles have to be holy within terrain and shit, they're not going to get cover. When the fuck is this fire prism going to fit inside a rune? Or, or or not be able to seen by a knight? So, yeah. what's going to happen? If you play knights and you have anti-tank, you have to throw it in strategic. Yeah. And then you have to hope you ace it on a turn. And they're just going to rotate ion shields and then shoot you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um... 
Yeah, I like I, I actually I agree a lot with what you guys are saying. Here here's the thing. I, I get where you're coming from, Bill there, and I do think one thing I will say about TOs in general, uh, as a as a species, uh TOs uh and uh event runners, like they honestly helped make ninth as good as it was with the way that they eventually figured out terrain. Because it really was the events that figured out terrain, not GW. Yeah. GW ended up kind of falling in line after enough events where like, yeah, your game's busted. It's way too lethal. We need to do obscuring. We need to do, uh, or like do a lot of obscuring. We need to make terrain certain shapes, certain uh, amounts and stuff. Because I'm sure, I don't know if you guys remember, but like the early ninth, GW suggestions were crap. Um, they had the right rules in there, but they didn't really use them properly. Uh, and it was really the community that came around and figured out how to make it work. And I think that maybe GW going into 10th, because they wanted the game to be less lethal, and in many ways, certainly not all, but in many ways it is, maybe they started to think, well, maybe we can give some of these big models a break so that they don't have to uh, suffer from this, this obscuring issue anymore. But clearly, when they actually wrote the rules for most of those models, uh, they were on crack. Uh, they were absolutely flipping out of their minds because some of these models really do. They really, they really do put out just an insane amount of shooting. And especially when you consider that half the time, here's the thing, like you're big, you have to have units in your army that can handle getting shot by a knight. But at the end of the day, those aren't even really what you're trying to hide. The problem is that being able to see through runes and stuff means that the knights can also shoot whatever it is you are trying to hide because you have lots of little fragile units which are actually really important to your army that the only way to keep them alive was to hide them. Um, I've watched a few games on stream uh, from various, you know, um, groups, and like honestly, to make this work, they're using some of them are using almost exclusively huge L's, huge thin L's, which are completely LOS blocking, but are also thin enough that the models can get around them very easily, and that's the only way that that they're having, you know, being able to curve in knights and and wraith knights and all that crap is because they they have this very specific type of terrain, which we all agree are awesome, but maybe even sort of too awesome sometimes. They're almost too good of defense. But against knights, they're just needed, because anything, like Arthur said, that's bigger uh, can be, or, or not shaped the right way, can be really problematic. Um, I do agree a little bit that maybe we could also go back the other way and say, like, just delete towering as a word, and maybe let, let knights have obscuring. I mean, little like our armagers and war dogs get it anyway. They always have. Yeah. Um, and they're a big, big part of the knights' armies. So maybe just letting the big knights have the ability to hide if they can find something big enough to hide behind is not the end of the world because that's probably only one piece per table, maybe two. Um, so it's not a huge deal. At the same time, knights are also very tough now. So, like, I don't know. When we talk about terrain in general, uh, as I mean, Bill, I think I think it'd be fair to say that you not <laughs> not throwing shade here, uh, because of the heresy games you've run and the, the different systems you've run, I would classify you more as a narrative player than I would classify you as a competitive player. Um, Scotty, I would classify you more as a competitive player than a narrative player, and I think I'm in that boat too. What? Why? What a makes narrative as fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm not trying to throw shade. Uh, what makes the best table? Like, what is the table that you want to play on? Um, Bill's got a few. Mm-hmm. Um, like, honestly, so like, come out to a Trident event, and I will sh- I will walk you around, whoever you might be who's listening, walk you around to a few tables that I'm like, this is a, a damn near perfect table. Now, it on should that have... table, whatever it is, does towering make that table not perfect anymore? Yeah. Yeah. So towering yeah. is the problem. 
It's, Bill. Yeah, it's definitely a problem. Your, your, your favorite table. What does it look like? Depends if we're strictly going on, like, for based on heresy. Whatever type of Warhammer that you want to play the most. Whatever you have the most fun playing. Yeah. Uh, well, currently, just because I don't have any games of 10th. And, like, obviously, I'm a big advocate for heresy, and I really like the system. Um, having just a general... Uh, thematic build, uh, point in time, story setting area where you get to actually deploy, and it looks like you're kind of taking part in like a massive, you know, uh, a bigger battle. Where like Raider of a White Dwarf. Yeah, it looks awesome, right? Like that's that's definitely some of the fun. Um, Does towering break that for you? Towering could for sure. It's weird because in Heresy we have knights too, and there's no real issue like yes they can be a little oppressive but it's not the big knights that are doing it. it's the little guys that are always causing the issues anyway so it's just it, it's kind of weird um even in 2.0 they're not as uh lethal as they were back in first edition so no wraith knights no but being able to see through all the cover and ignore i think that's kind of the issue is um wraith knight at least at least in heresy everything's giving you a cover save so whether yeah. you can see me or not, at least I'm getting cover, getting that chance. Uh, is that enough to make knights, you know, not as bad? I don't know. I don't. Well, it depends what their weapon loadouts are like. It depends what I'm rocking with. If I'm rolling in flak or my dirty old like Drakari armor four plus, it's it's not worth shit. So it's pretty tough to stand up to yeah, a lot yeah. of shooting like that. I could bitch in, about uh, knights and towering all day, and we'll throw it back to Scotty. That we got more topics to go. Yeah, in tenth, some of the knights, uh, they can have pretty good firepower. So, uh, the next two, I'm we're, we're gonna really, That's not even <laughs> the gun that scares me. Um, there's a there's a pair of rules um, which we're going to talk about, but we're actually not going to talk about the, what's wrong with the or what specifically is wrong with the rule because we all know what's wrong with the rule. Everybody who's played for more than about five minutes knows what's wrong with this rule. Um, there's two. We're going to do one after the other. Um, so instead of asking you guys what you'd like or don't like about this rule, strictly don't like, let's be honest. Instead, what I'm going to ask you is, how does GW continue to fuck this up? And we're going to start with indirect fire. So I'm going to ask Arthur, we know that indirect fire intent is fucked. How does GW edition after edition fuck this up again and again and again and then fix it and then come back and fuck it up again? Well, I mean, sometimes they don't even fix it. A lot of the time, it's players who create rulings who fix it. I think back to 6th and 7th when we had these pie plates from the four-drilled artillery carriages that were uh, AP3, or the Whirlwind Scorpiuses were AP3, and there were some AP2 pie plates coming down. They would put that shit on your squad, and you just pick your shit up, and it didn't matter. And then when the D cannons came out in late 7th, and the Warp Hunter did their thing, that was even worse. Uh, nobody enjoys playing against that. It's not fun. I don't know how GW keeps coming it up. Like, do they not play this fucking game? Once again, the problem is uninteractivity. And when we had blast templates, you could pray it was going to miss. But then they got to flip it, and there were the stupid guard, uh, not Hydras. Uh, the Manticores. Uh, no, man, no, the other one. Wyvern. Wyvern. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Fucking, my next guess was Chimera. <laughs> we're, like, we're getting there. We're getting there. That 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 they they didn't miss, yeah. and now we have indirect where there was a penalty before where like uh, there was a time in in eighth when it was really fucking good, 
Games Workshop dialed it down a bit. They took an AP away. They made it minus one to hit. And they gave you cover, which was effectively giving you plus two AP. And people stopped playing it almost overnight until some data sheets got a little bit out of hand and didn't care about that because of a Space Marine buff. So, I don't know. It's not fun to play. Yep. It's I, not. I don't know how they fuck it up. And I don't know how they fix it. Because, like, they've already input the buff or the negative side effects that they put in, in 8th. But now they give you the ability to remove it. And are they going to remove the heavy keyword from every source of indirect in the game? Probably not. Bill? I don't know how they keep fucking it up. Bill? Indirect definitely can be an issue. Um, I A simple fix would just be to not be able to remove the penalties. Always make it a minus one, no matter what. Oh, or state as it could not hit on better than a four plus no matter what or five plus and no matter what no re-rolls because yeah. the the most offensive indirect has re-rolls re i'm talking oh, the moment i'm talking fucking eldar boogaloo magic where you get to re-roll dice like guide yeah it's um yeah it's definitely gonna be a little bit of an issue it's always gonna need a tweak um to fix it, especially coming like from an army that doesn't have indirect, I think I'll feel the pinch on that quite a bit. Um, it'll probably make me want to play indirect, which I don't. I don't think that's the answer either. I think that's just trying to hurt somebody because they hurt me. So um, I don't know. I, I'm hoping it gets kind of addressed or fixed a little bit. It just would only take a quick errata, right? Just say, hey, can never hit better on a four up, and you don't get any rerolls or. Ways to ignore it. That's that'd be pretty that, decent. That is that is the silver lining, uh, and for a couple of these rules, really, is that they are compared to some issues in the game. They're very easy to fix with like a single data. In fact, GW largely fixed indirect last edition with a, a single data slate, and where they, they brought they, in the penalties. They fixed Death Watch in days. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So like, it's it's possible. Uh, I think actually, it's probable that it gets fixed. It's a question of how long. Um, I honestly, I, the reason I ask this question is I don't have an answer for it. I do not know how they keep fucking this up. How they hit um, their sales cap on uh, Desolator. That's one Maybe, I guess. Like, to me, like, yeah, a uh, few things that come to mind is, yeah, the obvious, uh, the number of data slates that have indirect and also have a way to ignore one or both penalties um, is crazy. Uh, in ninth, like, the, it was actually very nuanced that they made it a minus to your ballistic skill instead of a minus to your hit roll, because that meant it could stack with a minus one to hit, um, which was one nice piece of counterplay against it, and making it so that it gave an extra point of armor to the unit was also nice, because, again, that can actually stack with cover. Then this edition, here they go and they throw that all out. It's a minus one to hit and gives cover, which means having cover and a minus one to hit doesn't do anything because that's what it's already doing. And then half the data slates ignore those anyway. Uh, we've got, you know, part of the reason with the imp guard, some of the hype is all about their indirect because they can literally make their four plus ballistic skill tanks hit on twos while indirect firing. Like they that's one tank, they're gonna have fucking five. That's yeah, like that's kind of problematic. Um, so yeah, and and like Arthur said, the the big issue with indirect has always been a lack of interactivity. This is, I would argue, the most interactive set of rules we've almost ever had. But this specific thing is problematic, and it always has been problematic. And there actually are ways to fix it. I yeah, some of you guys are throwing out good ideas. No rerolls. Uh, maybe some sort of auto fail or caps on how good it can get, or maybe just not being able to ignore the penalties. We'll see what GW does. 
Um, but it is it is flipping stupid. Um, in that same vein, we have another keyword uh, or rule, I should say, that is uh, not new, but has existed before in one form or another. And again, I'm going to ask you guys, how does GW keep fucking up loan operative? Like, they've had this before where models were just untargetable for some reason. And uh, now we've got it again. And then they've always had to at some point change it so that it had like a range on it. Like they had to be within a few inches of something to actually get it. Or you could, you know, get around it with snipers or something like that. Not the case right now. Thoughts, Arthur? I think back to the... I loved 7th edition Warhammer. And if you played Heresy, you also loved 7th edition Warhammer. But there isn't a single person on the planet that liked the psychic power invisibility. Uh, which essentially made your unit only be able to hit on sixes and then immune to like other weaponry. Uh, effectively, as Scotty said, is untargetable. When we think about that, it was removed in eighth and the community rejoiced. But then they introduced like assassins who couldn't be hit unless they were the closest and these characters who couldn't be hit. And there were situations where some characters could block for others so neither could be targetable. Uh, and while Games Workshop was relatively, for them at the time, quick to address that, it created situations where, once again, we can't interact with the opponent. Um, I think this is just an example of them uh, wanting you to have, like, cool skirmishy units. Like, there is uh, an Eldar sniper who gives it to his unit. And you know what? There's something to be said about this, uh, like, these, these snipers out in the corner with their camo cloaks that are hard to see that you can't really shoot at. Like, that kind of makes sense to me. But from a gameplay perspective, it's not interactive. Anything that reduces interactivity is bad for the game. And in whatever sense that is, whether that's um, not being able to be targeted, such as in Lone Operative outside of 12, whether that is uh, Bellacore's old rules where he's fucking impossible to kill, right? Um, and, and anything that, like, the Iron Hands Dreadnought that used to reduce damage and uh, then reduce it more and then pass it off. It created yeah, a situation where you couldn't interact with that model. And that's the problem. It's uninteractivity. It has nothing to do with uh, anything else. If you make something uninteractive, if your core rule makes it uninteractive, it's not fun to play uh, against, I guess, because people will sure fucking have fun playing it. And, and and that's where it comes down to. Bill? I don't know. I, I, I keep trying to wrap my head around how it all is supposed to be a benefit <laughs> for the game. And it's, I don't know, I'm not sure what the best way, how to even fix that. And that that's, that's what I would rather um, focus on is how could, how could we fix it to make it where it just doesn't apply like that? Make it where and characters nice can't thing, cover for characters? And what's the best? Among other things, yeah. Yeah. I, like, the thing is, there are a lot of fixes to it. We're literally just talking about the character rules. Mm -hmm. If you look at ninth. No characters couldn't join units, of course. So, like, honestly, Lookout Sir was fine. Yeah. Like, Lookout Sir is probably what Lone Operative should be. Like, if you were looking for an easy template. Yeah. Like, really, think about it. That, like, those character rules worked fine across most armies for the entire edition. And they were fine. Maybe in those cases where you might want to adjust it a bit. Um, like, I mean, then we can debate the partial merit of, or uh, merits of, like, a semi-loan operative. Like, I know some some units have, like, an 18-inch loan operative instead of a 12. That's a little bit more interactive. 
Um, we also can think about who gets it. Um, part of the issue with lone operative being 12 inches isn't even just uh, how hard it can be to track down that unit to attack it. There's a few lone operatives that are actually not shooting units. They're combat units. Um, Lionel that's, Johnson? That's, yeah, that's a huge deal. Like At least if you chase down a ghost keel and you want to light it up, it doesn't want to stay there. It wants to run away. So like you, you kind of create a cat and mouse game. With Lionel Johnson or, or any of the other lone operatives that are built for combat, they're just invulnerable until they get to combat. Because like as soon as you're within twelve inches, like you're gonna, you're gonna get you next turn. Yeah. <laughs> like so like bring him down and all his yeah. bodies. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well that that really that feels bad and like you say, that's incredibly uninteractive. As awesome as it is for those models. Um and especially like the other thing, of course, is like, wow, why is why can't we even shoot snipers at him? Not that snipers would take out Lionel Johnson, but like at least it's something. So it's it's another kind of mystery. Wounds. I mean, some of them do. That's true. Uh, I guess uh, maybe maybe if they get some peat dice, oh maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's just an, it's another one of those mystery rules that you kind of hope. The nice thing, the nice thing is that it's fixable with a simple FAQ, and maybe it gets changed relatively quickly. Uh, we hope. Um, but in its current form, it's it's hilarious, especially the completely unbound ones where, like, some of them, it's like you have to be within three or six inches of somebody to get it. Some units literally is just, oh, I'm just a lone operative. I'll go sit on that objective in the back corner for the entire game, and you can't do anything about it. Sure. Uh, the Elder have an Autark that has wings that has that. And, and how much does he cost? 80 points? points? 80 points? Something Maybe. Like that. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's mine. And if you can't get here, you can't have it. You can't take me off of it. It's like, all right, well, that sucks um world actually where that actually makes having a deep strike unit which is more rare than it was yeah valuable yeah oh for sure there is some counterplay don't get me wrong but But it's still not an intuitive system i I know what you're saying it is it's uninteractive like you say we have one more rule that is more a little bit more of a discussion and i know everybody's got wonderful hot takes on this one um this is bad not bad i don't think this is bad rule design i think it's bad implementation um I think GW just went off script on where they handed this rule out, despite the fact that I think it's pretty cool and flavorful. And I think that the, the some of the big issues here is that this rule seems to be doing a, a big job of stratifying the indexes for the haves and the have-nots, because some armies don't have much of this rule. And that directly impacts their ability to play the game, and some armies have too much of this rule. And that rule, of course, is devastating wounds. Um, so, so like, let's let's just hear some thoughts. Not just thoughts on how to fix it, but because uh, I mean that's going to be the main topic. But also, like, if you'd like to see a change in the implementation, not just changing the rule, but where should it actually go? Should it should, should we have less of it? Should we have maybe more of it? What? So we'll start with Arthur. Um, I actually think that devastating wounds as a mechanic is cool. However, being able to trigger it on in, in certain ways might be problematic. Like, I mean, El- El- Eldar, are gonna, Eldar and Thousand Sons are going to be the ones that get the most shit for it. Eldar because they have the Fate Dice to make everything a 6, Thousand Sons for the other things they do. But anything with the anti-keyword that auto-counts as 6s, that's also kind of a problem. So the problem isn't being able to do mortals, the problem is the reliability of being able to do mortals. So, if... Uh, if we had devastating wounds as they are, then if we had some sort of thing that is on only natural rolls of six, not unmodified, not fate dice, not anything else, 
that might not be as problematic that takes out some of the key life. it doesn't take out all of them is it possessed that put out dev wounds or they just do everything else i think it's possessed can can do dev wounds right. if i remember correctly. Uh, but like only on sixes they're a unit that uh is gonna slap in combat but they gotta roll some sixes yeah. i like rolling sixes as a mechanic i loved hail of doom i love the old shuriken rule uh it makes it both exciting and terrifying when you see a six but if you could just be like, okay, well, here's 2d6 mortals, <laughs> because you have eight dice in the bank, and now Mortarian's taken 18 mortals before he can shoot you back in an Overwatch phase, because you have more fate dice in the bank, then you're not always going to have those sixes, but you're going to have some when it matters. That's not fun. But there should be a rule for when you have something so deadly that uh, it does such grievous damage that uh, something happens to it. There are a lot of Cal players right now that are lamenting the loss yeah. of railguns rail because now people get to make saves against these one-shot abilities that hit on a four. Uh, and, like, I I feel that. I don't know if you should be able to take a save. I don't know what to do about that, though. What 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 is your... Do you have a dream version of Devastating Wounds? You know, I, I feel like... So, to... to to really unanswer that question, you have to go through the history of Devastating Wounds. Um, in early 8th edition, we had uh, damage abilities that did an extra damage on 6s. This was the first episode of a Devastating Wound we had. That ended up being a score-keeping nightmare for when you receive wounds. Because if you were a multi-wound model, and everything was 1 damage, but 6s do 2 damage, uh, you are never going to take them in a way that is not fa that is not unfavorable to you. You're going to like take a 1, and then you're going to take a 2 and then you're going to take another 1, and then you're going to take a 2 so it creates a system that's exploitive unless you're rolling dice one at a time, which is not intuitive for the system. So Games Workshop acknowledged that. They didn't fack anything, but what they did was in their next release window of codexes, uh, Wood started doing a mortal in addition, which solves that whole problem. You're taking all your runes, and then you take the mortals in addition. Now, I don't know why that was problematic. I'm sure that it is for things like Possessed, which are going to proc a billion wounds, and... I'm not shitting on Possessed. Possessed are fine. Chaos Space Marines is a good codex. It is not currently one of the ones that is problematic. If everything else gets nerfed, we can then bitch about them, but I don't even think they'll be the ones that bitch because they typically play a relatively fair game without amazing amounts of anti and devastating wounds. They have some. Way out of character for them. Fair game. Well, there's that. Immersion so, broken. Immersion broken. So that's you. You don't. You don't one hundred percent know that there is a, a ideal way for dev wounds. The only thing I can think of is that uh, it does a mortal in addition. But at the same time, you know what I really liked, and everyone's <laughs> gonna hate me for this. Back in seventh edition, when you got to roll out that D shot, and on a six, people just had to remove their shit, pick it up <laughs> off the table, take it home, burn it, throw Fuck it, try that. to shove it up your ass. That was so that fun! Was fucked. It's almost like he played the faction with all the D weapons. It's yeah, crazy. no doubt, no doubt. True. Other people had D weapons. Bill, Bill, what are your thoughts well, on that? Uh, talking wounds. about, you know, not being good for interaction for the game, that's what the old Destroyer shit was. Yeah. It was, it was, <laughs> it just led to feel bads. It did. You could roll lookout, sirs. Yeah. And then pick your we other. Don't, we don't have we don't have lookouts there. We have lone operatives. Can D weapons hit lone operatives? If they if they can, we'll bring them back. 
No, but Doombolt can. That's that, there you go. That's fair. That's fucking okay. stupid. And it and it does start with a D, so that's good. That's what it's all about. Uh, the devastating wounds. My my only gripe, if you will, is essentially it's not handed out on an equitable basis amongst armies. And I, I think that's kind of the big issue is if every army had three units that all had devastating, I don't think it would be a problem, but there's some units, you know, some armies that only have like one. <laughs> but then have, people are only going to play the units that have devastating. You very well yeah, may, but you internal can internal balance instead of external. But and yeah. they can tweak the points. They can make points more expensive. If you want to play a, a higher lethality force, like more elite, that's fine. It's easy to fix. Like, Gotta pay extra. Yeah, there, there's ways they can tweak that. Yeah. Um, so, Bill, are scourges a problem? They have anti and dev wounds, right? They have on the Jukari Haywire Blaster. Yes. Oh, I'm gonna, yeah. Anti four plus anti vehicle four plus and devastating wounds. Okay. Are they a problem? A problem? They probably will yeah. be. You think so? Well, three times five squads in your army at least. I just bought There'll another be a squad. Player who's bad. <laughs> <laughs> What's the range on that? On the Haywire Blaster, 24. Yeah. And does it require a line of sight? Yeah, it does. So there is some interactivity with it. And the other part about that, it's only anti-vehicle. It is. Yeah. But I, I will... I'll, I'll say for Scourges, to be fair, uh, they do have a high movement and fly, and also do have the ability to jump, shoot, jump. They do. So they might not be quite as interactive as... As you think, that's, although that's, to be fair, like the, the flip side is they are very fragile when you can get on top of them. They're not interact. They're anti-vehicle, and it costs you a CP. So, like, there are there are costs to doing it. Um, yeah, I I have seen. I mean, Dev Wounds is probably like the most fierce battleground of almost anything right now that I've seen um, compared to these other issues. Just because there there doesn't seem to be as clear of a consensus about what to do. Because I think the reality is that a lot of people actually do like the concept and we're used to playing with the concept. And 10th edition has, and I think this was GW kind of thinking ahead a bit, 10th edition has seen a resurgence in feel no pain type rules. Uh, they never went away, um, but like they they're pretty generous across a lot of books. Um, but they still do not make up for the more egregious devastating wounds. Um, I think Arthur's suggestion, the swapping it to plus one mortal, you know, added onto your regular damage, probably the most common one. And I, I don't hate it. Um, I am a little bit iffy about it just because I think that there still needs to be some editing done if we were to do that, because whilst that does solve the problem of, of uh, wraith cannons and stuff, it doesn't necessarily solve the issue of like the you know smaller squads who just dish out a bunch of shots that each have one damage and do devastating wounds because then those actually get stronger um those are getting a mortal wound on top of their regular damage now instead of just a mortal wound so those are potentially still a, a sore point but those are fewer and far between um, ideally, to me, I think there's a couple ways. I mean, one, I saw somebody suggest just capping it. Um, so, like, you know, you can only, a unit can only suffer so many devastating wounds per phase, or a unit can only deal so many devastating wounds per phase, and after that, they revert to just regular wounds. Um, I've seen people suggest <coughs> that, uh, that, like, you, you deal in addition to damage, but also have the caps. I've seen people say, because uh, here's one of the other issues, like like Arthur mentioned, uh, fate dice is a big issue. 
Um, part of that would just be making things like fate dice and miracle dice and stuff count as a modified dice. So therefore, it's not an unmodified six. It's a modified. Would people hate fate dice if they couldn't proc dev wounds. Not as much, although they're still pretty strong. I have thoughts on them too. Um, but uh, and then the other thing is, because here's the other flip side. Even without fate dice, there's some armies that really t check out a bunch of uh, dev wounds because of combos like being able to reroll wounds and maybe even stacking that with getting critical wounds on a five up. Um, both of those, and especially those together, can also mean that you're just spitting out insane amounts of sixes, which proc the dev wounds. So they've said, like, maybe we just, a dev wound has to be a non-rerolled dice. The rerolls don't get you dev wounds. Um, and get rid of all these stupid, not all, but, uh, you know, the few times that there's a critical wounds on a five plus, that's a stupid fucking roll. Um, because it makes dev wounds incredibly, incredibly common. I don't uh, know if I like the no reroll aspect because I'm thinking back to eighth, ninth edition striking scorpions, uh, who are not very striking. They're kind of ugly, but uh, they had uh, dice that could proc extra attacks, but those attacks couldn't proc mortals, and mm. it was kind of fucking stupid to have like this separate pile of attacks. You had to track differently that didn't interact. But I don't otherwise hate that idea. Like it's just kind of your original sixes that count, and then after that, you know. yeah. And again, these are all just ideas. I don't think there's a one right way forward, but I I think we all agree that something has to happen. Um, the easiest ones to fix are just the fate dice. I mean, I don't want to pick on Eldar, but like that's the easiest one in the world to make. Just make them count as a modified die. Uh, another thing that would help with fate dice a lot, and this is actually goes back to Arthur's question there about um, would people still hate them? We have miracle dice in this game, and they're still a very strong mechanic. Um, and they have this rule, and they always have, which is that a unit can only use one per phase. Fate dice should be the same. That's Part of the thing that breaks fate dice is that you can create an outrageously huge swing by just picking... Now, this wasn't true in 9th edition so much because they only got four or five of them. But right now, at the start of the game, you got a big brick of freaking dice, and you're just like... Pfft! There's a whole bunch of hits or wounds or God only knows what. Actually, I have same thing for saves. Like a Wraith Knight can literally go and drop a bunch of sixes to blow some stuff up and you maybe have a big swing back and they have a bunch of fours and fives that they can use for saves. That That's creates cool. a big bad feel bad. There's only so um, many uh, dice that are even going to get to that wound step because it's T12. Yeah. That's, and that's, I want that's the Wraith Knight to be good. I do. I do too. I do. But it's a little too good. It's a little too good. But fate dice are part of the why. Uninteractivity. Well, and like they'd still be a good mechanic if you can only use one per phase. Like, yeah. and they would instant, and that that alone would instantly make the Wraith Knight still good, but like it's not going to be like oh, I'm going to roll my hits and then oh here's three sixes. Like no, here's one six which still sucks. It's a lot of mortals. Maybe he naturally rolls one too. Who knows? Or or re rolls or whatever. Um, been the same thing when you go after an avatar and it's just like, well, here's five four pluses and I'm going to roll the last one. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, but that's just fate days. We're getting off topic. Uh, those do need to be fixed too. But dev wounds have a lot of solutions and GW is going to have to find one of them. Or two of them. Or more. <laughs> but they are a good mechanic. They are a cool mechanic that should absolutely be in the game. Do you think we're going to see a day one uh, index fact? I'm really hoping so, but I'm not sure that we will. Um, I think GW's 
rules writers have probably been through a lot. I, here's the thing. I wouldn't be shocked if we did, but I wouldn't, I would assume that the earliest FAQ or errata is literally just erratas because they have like, so many data sheets that have four star cannon shots. Oh, and that happened on a bunch of Marine and guard tanks too, that I've seen where they just had weapons that have improper numbers, different stat lines from one thing to another, some of which are intentional, I know, but a lot of which aren't, or like a rules written, missing a word and that completely changes how it functions or you know don't, something's missing a keyword uh i would not be surprised if there was a very early errata for that but actual like game game affecting rules changes like i hope so uh, i think we'll get them soon i wouldn't be surprised if it's a month out or six weeks eight weeks out um hopefully before iron within um but will it come that quick i mean a lot of people are very hopeful because of the death watch faq um, but I don't know if we can ask for that on like a game wide scale. Well, if we have this, uh, we are off topic. <laughs> One of the ideas had, and I'd like to see if this, if you thought something similar for Heresy Bill. Uh, Scotty had this idea that there is not like one unified rules team, but there is rather uh, like eight or however many writers that each write their individual books or series of books. And that's why we have uh, Death Guard, Votan. Admech and Sisters of Battle at the absolute bottom, with Sisters being probably the worst. <laughs> and uh, you know, um, Eldar uh, in in their natural place where they where they belong. Uh, do, is it like if we have all of these rules writers on their own separate things, are we likely to see all twenty something factions get a, a rework? Does that happen for Heresy Build? Like, does it seem like there's you know there was twenty twenty uh, legions, eighteen I guess. It very much feels for Heresy like there were multiple writers that were all involved. Um, and it's probably very similar to what 40k ended up doing. Uh, the only thing is, is um, with Heresy, they were able to... Um, how can I word this? They were able to use COVID as kind of the excuse because no one was able to get together and everyone worked on their own papers for two years. And then leaks started dropping, and everyone handed it in at the end, and that's what we got. You can Maybe tell some now. books are not created, like, <laughs> books are not created equally. A lot of the legions aren't created equally, and I'm not sure what the story was there. They, a lot play better than they did, because they play more true to the fluff, of how they feel in the fluff is translated well into the rules or the legion mechanics. Oh, are Ultramarines just the fucking best? Well, Ultramarines are pretty good. Uh, what, makes, what's, what makes Ultramarines a little bit too heavy-handed is these... Uh, there was like a PDF Legacies style units that you could use for all your games. Um, and some of them were a little out to lunch, for sure. Uh, like Ford World. Well, yeah, just worse. Worse. World has never once made Games Workshop stuff out of whack. Never yeah, once. Just not not ideal. But I, I do think, yeah, I do think that tenth does seem to be having a little bit of that issue. You might have had like a Xenos team, an Imperial team, and whatever, and guys just kind of took whatever piqued their interest. They made their factions and all kind of pushed it in. There was one team who obviously did uh, Sisters of Battle. Admech and Death Guard at the same time. And that's funny because those were made by the same team in 9th edition as well. 
If, if sisters were made alongside anybody, I'd think it was Votan. They share a lot of the same rules. Um, I did hear one. Uh, this is tinfoil hat time, so everybody strap on. Put it on. Um, but uh, I did have, I saw one thing said that that actually maybe does make some sense. And that's that they there, there are rumors that this is actually true. That some of GW's rules writings teams literally not just don't communicate with each other, but actively are not allowed to communicate with each other. Um, which again is less of a problem like in ninth where it's one book after another because it's not like they can't just go back and read all the other books. Um, so they didn't have an excuse. But for the indexes where you're having a whole bunch of stuff written at the same time, um, it would have been really good for them to talk to each other. And the, the rules, uh, the alleged alleged rumors, is that a lot of this went back to the issues that GW has had with leaks and their efforts to try to stop stuff from getting leaked. And I, I mean, admittedly, it's it's true that a big a good way to do that is to just not be able for certain people to not be able to access certain information. You limit how much information any one person can have. And it also helps you track if there is a leak, uh, narrow down where that is instead of having, you know, a big design team with dozens of people and making that harder. But of course, it does mean that, yeah, like we see the indexes that are bad and ones that are very good and uh, honestly a lot that are in the middle i i honestly think there are a lot of books that actually are good like they're they could use a little help here or there or some nerfing whatever but like the vast majority of books are, are still pretty good we just some bad outliers there are a lot of books <laughs> that play this game fair and as much as i've been harping on sisters of battle they they play the game fair they play an interactive game where they want people to come to them but in the premise of what we're looking at for this in this this edition, that's not what makes an army good, right? No, it's uh, it's BS. Yeah, and sisters even have fate dice, so fate dice can be balanced. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Does, does anyone have some closing thoughts? Uh, a little, a little something. You know, like I said I wanted to cover just a couple of topics today uh, that have been really popular in the news, as well as you know a few that. Like I said, with missions, just don't. Nobody seems to be talking about it all. Um, but is is there something near and dear to either of your hearts that you want to mention before we close out? Bill, you, me, you, you. you. Um, my <laughs> only com. I have a comment. It's just on lethality. While it seems like AP and damage has gone down across the board on most things, the game does feel more killy to me, anyways, in terms of what I saw for ninth and like what I'm seeing for 10th like for for my Jukari personally I'm looking at all these other like armies of what they can do and I'm like if I can't hide I'm pretty much gonna die and may, I, was like, may hmm. I offer may I offer a, a piece of just a piece of insight sure yeah is it possible that is it possible that you feel that way because you've played power armor or better your entire life and are just now starting to play t3 paper armored boys well you're not wrong girls you're not wrong Anger. and that's pro that's probably why i might feel like it's so fragile um there are sorry go ahead there are there are reasons why that would probably be yeah. an accurate guess my so. my general so i've spent too many hours on the excellent tool unit crunch uh which you can access for free online if you ever want to do some 40k simming uh, just to try to give myself an idea if of if the game actually was more or less lethal, running through dozens of data sheets now, um, 
just inputting them and, and simming them against each other to see what kind of damage output different things had into different other things. And I will say that in general, I actually do think that the game is less lethal. Um, I think a huge piece of that is just the way cover works now. Um, but just in general, my my instinct has been that it is less lethal. It's like, I mean, Arthur can tell you how my I was basically crowing in chat when I did the math and found out that a double battle cannon, Chaos Knight or whatever, literally only kills like six or seven battle sisters. I was I was just like, what? No, that doesn't make sense. This knight's supposed to be terrifying, and it, it is, but like it also literally kills fifty or sixty points of toughness three models in the right situ situations. Um, but I think that you're actually right, Bill, and that's that there are outliers in this game that you hear a lot about when you're reading online or whatever or talking to your friends that absolutely are not less killy and in some cases are actually more killy than ninth, which was the killiest edition of 40k we've ever had. And those units are kind of ruining it for everybody else because their damage output is insane um, and needs to be reined in. And it does, I mean, to... To be fair, it kind of does crump it, especially for the softer armies. Because there are some armies right now that people think are, are decent, or at least playable. And actually, the only thing about them is that they, they can walk out into the middle of the table and not immediately die. And that's what's making them playable. Not good, but playable. Are you talking about uh, <laughs> There's a couple, uh, honestly. Like I, I, I'd even say Chaos Space Marines are a bit like that. Um, some of the specific Space Marine chapters are pretty tanky as well, uh, even if they don't do much else. Um, knights, to an extent, actually, are kind of the same thing. <laughs> Though that kind of depends on how the yeah. anti-vehicle meta shows, shakes up. It's, but yeah, those toughness three armies, uh, they might be in for a tough go. It, it's definitely... That's how it feels for me, anyways. Um, just in regards to how it goes. Although, myself, knowing how like the 8th edition indexes and everything went... Or was it 8th? Yeah, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the indexes and the codex that followed after was vastly different. Uh, so I, I do suspect even though things might be just right now off the chain and some factions are like stupid good and some aren't, uh, that I'm hoping will get balanced out as the codexes drop and as they get data from all these events. Because um, it won't be hard to see once they start actually, you know, uh, reviewing that stuff. It's I think it'll be pretty quick for them to make changes. At least that's my well, thought. Well, there's no, no shortage of feedback online, so... Yeah. Arthur, any thoughts? Yeah. Um, I think it's really important to... And, you know, Scotty might laugh as I say this, to to treat this as, an, as a new edition. Uh, I, I have had probably the worst, worst time trying to... And I've mentioned a couple times, and some of it's been a jest... Uh, fucking around with the sister of battle list. Ever since I saw their index released, I've been pretty dooming over them. Now the truth is, like they're not bad, but like when you compare the old stats to the new stats and and what you're going to kill, it's not the same game. So you have to really accept that, and that can be tough to accept. I still don't accept it. I don't want to. I, I really don't. I want to look at my shit and be like, this isn't going to do it. Um, and. Maybe some of that's true, maybe I'm out to lunch on some aspects, but dooming about it is not the answer. We are in a new edition of Warhammer, we're going to have uh, new winners, there are going to be some, some new top tier, right? Uh, there's going to be some stuff changed, and you honestly just have to enjoy playing the game. 
So sometimes the healthy thing is to get off Reddit, get off Warhammer community, get off the Art of War thing, stop worrying about what the best wombo combo you can roll out to your Thursday night Warhammer is, and just find some models you like, put those on the table, and play them. Yeah, especially when you're learning the game, because or learning a new edition, because we're yeah. all going to fuck up anyway. That's it. Don't worry about, well, will I be able to do this or, or do that? Just play models, and if, if you lose a game, that's okay. That's okay. You're, you're gonna you're gonna lose some games. The uh, the <laughs> my favorite analogy to tell students is that uh, you know what's the some of the best people who who hit baseballs in in the MLB hit three out of ten times, right? And some of the best teams win you know six out of ten times or whatever, right? So you don't need to win every game. You can you can lose half your games. You can lose more than that, and you'll still have a good time playing the game. The, yeah. the game yeah. isn't just about winning. We play it to have fun. We play it because we like painting. We play it because we like the universe. You have to embody that spirit. It's about getting that top painted tier. Knocking that well, Eldar know, motherfucker but... off the throne. It's Eldar well, Supremacy Week. It's all Eldar in the end. Well, uh, I hope yeah. so. And I, I would say, and we've referenced <laughs> this a few times over the podcast, literally, like, realistically, in three to six months, a lot of the issues will be corrected. There will almost certainly be new issues. Um, but sure. the like, as we saw with ninth, the issues will get less and less and less. They will be smaller. There will be fewer of them. In three to six months, this may be the best edition of Warhammer 40k ever. Until Maybe. the new codex starts coming out. I mean, that's the GW said that they don't want to even have to change their data slates. These were all designed to be almost perfect, and they intend to make little as few changes as possible. They may be reconsidering how many changes that is at this point, <laughs> but uh, we'll see. I hope they change as few as possible in Eldar. By that. Just increase the points across the board. It'll be fine. Points doesn't fix Quarter- it. Quarterly, quarterly point, point changes. Yeah, I agree points doesn't necessarily change it, but that's what they're saying. Quarterly point changes. So <laughs> things will be finely tuned on that front at the least. 800 point Wraith Knight, here we come. No. There we go. It, it has to be cost comparable to an Imperial Knight. That's still like 500 points. Stompa used to be like 850. The that's, fucking Stompa that's, that's, is still 800 points. Yeah, that's pointed appropriately, man. That's good. It's not. No, the well, Stompa's okay. never been a good cost. Not since fucking 5th. <laughs> that's not true. Who let the Orc player in here? It was really fucking good. Well, was the static one wasn't. The Forge-ruled one, the Big Mac... Stompa was because the good bullshit. one. Yeah, that was bullshit. And had some D on it. Fucking slang. It did have a D on it. Slang and D, yeah. Bill's gonna TWC. Throw up his, Bill's gonna throw his Stompa manifesto up on the Discord oh, for anybody fuck. who wants to go check it out. Uh, why don't you take us out, Bill? Uh, well, thank you everybody for listening to us um, chat with you about 10th, which is sure to be the best edition ever. Uh, I definitely want to give a big shout out to our patrons. We got um, Dustin, Frederick, Chris, and Tyler now. Uh, we definitely appreciate the support. Uh, you can check us out on the, yeah. all the links in the description as well. Uh, we are slowly trying to uh, make that program better, more enticing uh, for those who are supporting the channel. So start doing some more Inside Scoop and maybe even doing some kind of... Uh, just like patron fan chattery maybe get into some chats we can kind of talk to you about direction of what we're doing on the channel what kind of stuff you want to keep hearing 
um, you know, try and really hit those bases because uh, after all, you're giving us support. So we, we want to keep, uh, keep you guys at the forefront of our mind and drop content that's relatable to you. So, and uh, yeah, that's basically my, my big shout for sure. Uh, more 40k content coming down the pipe. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be good. I, I am looking forward to, uh, to jumping in and, uh, definitely getting my, my reps in. Cause that's the best way to learn a new game for sure is you can list, list Taylor all you want, but unless you're rolling dice and actually playing the game, you just kind of fucking daydreaming. So the best, but not just the best. It's the, it's the only, the way, only to way to learn. Yeah. Gotta play, gotta lose, gotta keep painting. Don't watch battle reports. Yeah. Can't just write it out. You gotta play. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for hearing us rant, everybody, tonight. Uh, we'll have more rants in the future, I promise. <laughs> Don't forget to follow Eldar Supremacy Week. <laughs> it's it's still going. All still week. Going all week. All Eldar, all week long on the Instagram. Check it out. Awesome. Yep. Eldar with a capital D. <laughs> thanks for coming out tonight, guys. Y'all take care. Catch you. Did you plug the Patreon? We need to plug the Patreon.